0: Hi, I'm Second Story Company member Eric Hazen. We are so stoked about the absolutely massive summer bash we're about to throw, that we had to take a second before the podcast to invite you. This Monday, July 29th, we're going bigger than we've ever gone before at the gorgeous City Winery in Chicago's West Loop. There will be wine and live music and stories, and seriously, these stories are incredible. If you dig the podcast but have never been to one of our live shows, or if you're a Second Story veteran, hop over to our website, secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com, and pick up your tickets. I'll see you
1: there. This This is the second Second Story Podcast. I was on the hunt, the job hunt. I was excited, fresh and doe-eyed, ready to walk into interviews that I was sure I would ace. But after a few months, it wasn't happening. And after a few more months, it still wasn't happening, and I began to panic. I started flailing about, reaching out for anything that would float by and keep me above water. Part-time gigs at the Gap, substitute nannying, More temp agencies than I knew how to keep track of. Guys, the job hunt is hard, and sometimes it's scary, and sometimes it's a little bit hilarious. In this week's Second Story podcast, Andy Byades will tell us all about the job hunt that led him to careers unknown and a brush with fame in the mystical and divine. Andy Byades is a Chicago-based playwright and storyteller, writing and performing all over this great city. With his story titled, Off Mission, Second Story is proud to present one cool, cool cat, Mr. Andy Byades.
0: Have you ever had a life-changing phone conversation with a celebrity? No? All right. Well, uh, before I tell you about mine, um, I need to jump back about eight years to put this encounter into context. It was a Sunday night at a business meeting in a dirty theater space above a funeral home in Andersonville. It was Fall 2004, I'd just been married, traveled to Europe for the first time, and the Red Sox finally won a World Series. Life was awesome. I'd been laid off from my day job, but I was collecting unemployment, which for an artist might as well be an Illinois Arts Council grant. So I felt the kind of optimism that drives you to make big changes. So when it came time for my agenda item, Andy has some news. I told my fellow company members that I was leaving the Neo Futurists. That's a theater company, by the way, in town. They do a show called Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind. Ferdin' plays in 60 minutes. It's been running for 27 years. Big hit, lots of little fans. Why was this such a big change for me? The Neo Futurists pay enough so that you can have another part-time gig and just barely scrape by. Furthermore, it's popular. It sells out. People run into you in the street and say, hey, you're Andy from Too Much Light. I love that play you did with the mango. It's hard to be cast, and it's hard to leave. Everyone stays a little longer than they should, and when they leave, neo-futurists invariably line up something impressive first. Grad school is huge with (laughs) ex-neo-futurists. But I was done writing two-minute plays every week, and most important, I wanted a sane, quiet, normal life. I wanted one career I could build on, not two dead-end jobs and a split focus. And I didn't want my ego making decisions for me. I didn't want to stay because people recognized me in Andersonville. That's stupid. And I didn't want to line up anything just so that when people asked, what are you doing now, I had something impressive to say. Fuck grad school. (laughs) I was ready to cut the cord, walk into empty space, and with the power of my will, manifest a normal, awesome, ego-neutral opportunity. (laughs) The ensemble nodded their heads when I told them I was leaving, said very little. It's always awkward when an ensemble member quits. It's like someone dying in a, in a, in a retirement home. It reminds everybody of their artistic mortality. <laughs> I walked out of the space that night with my wife, who was also a neo-futurist. And I stood on the corner of Ashland and Foster, breathed the promise in the autumn, of air, autumn air, and said, well, here I go. I'm proud of you, babe, she said. I'm next. She was planning to leave. She just had to line something up first. Whatever. (laughs) I went home to our apartment in Lincoln Square and sunk into a pitiable depression. A familiar impulse, one I had been running from uh, this whole time, uh, came back. I'll describe it like this, and this is really embarrassing to admit. Back when I was a neo-futurist, if I was in a good mood and walking through Andersonville when someone recognized me, it was a pleasant surprise. We'd have a friendly exchange and I'd walk away feeling better. When I was in a bad mood, I'd pay less attention to the person I was with. I would study the eyes of every passerby, searching for their recognition of me. And when I found it, we'd have a friendly exchange and then I'd walk away feeling even worse. Six months after leaving the neo-futurists, people stopped recognizing me in Andersonville. I stopped showing my face in the theater because I didn't want to answer people when they asked me what I was doing. I stopped leaving my apartment, shaving, or making that say-yes-to-life transition to pants every morning. (laughs) A lot of unemployed people in the house here. Um, Out of the blue, I got an email from a guy I knew who was working at the brand new and not yet published Time Out Chicago Magazine, and then bam, I was their astrology columnist. (laughs) A few weeks later, Chad, the editor in chief, dropped me off with the photographer and there I was in a closet, confronting a brightly lit umbrella. She apologized, I don't have my studio yet. No problem, I said. I've been performing in a shithole above a funeral home for the past six years. This is posh. I couldn't relax, though. I've always been told that I was generally a natural performer, that I appear relaxed in myself. But that day, while posing for the photo that would accompany my column, Sign Out, Bringing the Stars and Planets Down to Earth by Andy Biades, I found myself uncomfortable, awkward. This was the picture everyone would see, so I wanted it to look good. I wanted it to say, this is what I did next. This is the opportunity I manifested without pants. But I looked weird. Later, they nicely asked if they could reshoot, and I still looked weird, but with a better shirt. Did I know anything about astrology, you ask? Let's say I wasn't fluent, but I had polite astrology. And I asked around, I bought a book. Bottom line, horoscope writing is much easier than you think. I was no Rob Bresney or Gene Dixon. This was not exactly the opportunity I was hoping for, but maybe I could make the leap and become the next Terry Nason. Terry Nazon is so famous that if you simply do a search for famous astrologer, her site is first on Google. You go to her site, you will see a famous astrologer psychic and astrologer to the stars with faux platinum new agey baby boomer hair and clairvoyant blue eyes multiple magazines tv appearances radio internet no i would not reach the terry nason level because if i was really being honest with myself i didn't believe in astrology which i think is a prerequisite <laughs> this gig paid more than the neo-futurists but what about my mission? Was this job normal? No. Awesome? Eh, kinda. Ego neutral? I'm gonna let you be the judge of that. <laughs> Was it an opportunity? Yes. An opportunity to do, uh, more, to do only one job? Not in Chicago. So my wife and I hatched a scheme. this scheme is a novel unto itself but for the purposes of this story you should know it accomplished the following. We would move to southern Illinois, my wife would leave the neo-futurist for, yes, grad school I would write my column we'd fix up an old Victorian, make a baby and in Carbondale, Illinois, yes you can support a family on a graduate assistantship and an astrology column from Time Out Chicago Magazine (laughs) Okay, so now I have to cover like four years in Carbondale in two minutes, so I figured the best way to do that is with a neo-futurist play. So here it goes 14 ways I could sum up my four years in Southern Illinois, go! It was really great and really fun, until it got really shitty. My wife was an academic superstar. I mostly forgot to bathe. So it wasn't like, do you, do you know me, do you recognize me, do you recognize me? No, And this time it was like, ask me, ask me what I do for work, ask me what I do for work, what do you do for work, what do you do for work? Uh, I'm the astrology columnist for Time Out Chicago Magazine, and then I would feel worse. <laughs> Is Southern Illinois the Midwest or the South? Answer, yes. I liked all my wife's friends. I made one, friend. I loved the house, which is a good thing because I never left it. Our plan totally worked until Time Out cut their astrology column. Anyone here over 30 ever have an argument about whether or not you should get a job at Target? Well, don't move to Southern Illinois and then lose your column. I turned lemons into lemonade and then started my own business, but it was the kind of lemonade that only paid the cable bill. The weird thing is, I didn't study astrology until I lost my column. Then I realized, I really do believe in astrology. <laughs> what is a Saluki? <laughs> FirstPersonAstrology.com by former Time Out Chicago astrology columnist Andy Byades. Custom weekly horoscopes delivered straight to your inbox. $4.95 a month, totally scalable. We scraped by. I did more than my little business, so we scraped by. Southern Illinois nearly bankrupted us, but at the worst moment in the recession, I got a job offer. Curtain. Okay, now we're in 2009. The job offer I got, technical writer. I could move to Evanston and work full time. The normal life and the steady paycheck that I'd craved for so long was one signature away. But after two years of barely scraping by, I hesitated. A few days went by, a week went by. I had one week left to make a decision and about 900 bucks left in our savings account. I still hadn't committed, but I prepared my clients for the possibility i would have to close shop. I blamed the economy, said business was slow, blah, blah, blah. And apparently, one of my customers forwarded my email to a world-famous astrologer. And that's when I got the email from Terry Nazon. (laughs) Maybe we could talk. I would be interested in working something out after we talk. I got scared. (laughs) This was real celebrity. But I, I thought maybe she'd buy my business and I wouldn't need to take that nine to five. Maybe I could get another column. I sent my number and I pictured my glossy face at the top of a magazine page again, this time confident, comfortable, validated. What took me by surprise was after our introduction, she said, so what can I do for you? And I wanted to say, didn't you contact me? But she's Terry Nazon, so you know. (laughs) I started talking about my business instead. She asked me how big my client list was, and uh, when I told her, she laughed at me. It was, it was kind of like a loud laugh, um, <laughs> but I blew it off. She's Terry Nazon. She mentioned, uh, she, she interrupted my talk about what I explained was an excellent business model by telling me that astrology shouldn't be for sale, um, which I thought was a weird thing coming from someone who does it for a living, but you know. <laughs> She's a world-famous astrologer talking to me, so I rolled with it. She said she took a look at my website. She told me what I was doing was really common. And uh, I, had, I had to correct her, which I did very nicely, because um, I'd done a ton of research and no one was doing exactly what I was doing. And I, unaccustomed, I imagine, to ever being corrected e- ever, she interrupted me, interrupted me with, no, sweetheart, you're a dime a dozen. Uh, with no explicit segue, she added, I'm number one on Google, I have millions of hits on my website and hundreds of thousands of subscribers. I've got stuff in magazines around the world. My inbox is full. I've got thousands of people writing to me every day. So what do you want with me? I finally asked. Hey, I just got an email from a friend asking if I could help this guy. And then she added, my time is money. She kept going, but I didn't hear her. Instead, I thought about her impulse to call some lowly, struggling astrologer so she could appear magnanimous and generous with her time and steer the conversation to her success whenever possible, search for the sound of admiration in my voice, or better yet, intimidation, and get off the phone, no matter how the call went, feeling worse. I hung up. I'd like to think she was still talking as I signed that job offer for the position in Evanston. One of the guys who moved us into our Evanston apartment was from Southern Illinois. He was huge, sweaty, very polite. He told me our new neighborhood was nice, and the apartment was nice, and if you don't mind my asking, sir, what are you doing for work? I'm a technical writer, I said.
1: That was Andy by 80s. This story was curated by Mr. Bobby Badriski with a sound design from Nick Kawahara and performance direction by Julie Ganey. Second Story is a Chicago-based collective of story makers and story lovers working to bring audiences together through the power of shared story experience. Come out to our next show Monday, July 29th at City Winery in Chicago for Cruel Summer, Stories of Learning the Hard Way. For tickets or information, visit our website at secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com. If you like this podcast, we hope you'll consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can always reach me with comments through email at ozzy at secondstory.com. Second Story podcasts are funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Arts Works Fund, and the Chicago Community Foundation. I'm Ozzy Totten, and this is Second Story.